welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Hey, welcome to Church at The Well. My name is VJ, and I'm so glad you're with us today. We are in, or actually wrapping up, a series called Reset, where in a sense, we've been asking this question, what does it mean to be the church? Uh, because we are starting to regather, in a sense, as a church. And the, all of our rhythms around church and faith in many ways have been disrupted. And so this is a good time to hit the reset button and say, okay, we can't forget the things that matter most. And so in a sense, we're answering at a broad level, what does it mean to be the church working through our vision and our values as a community? But I have to be honest with you. I have friends. You probably have friends. I have family members, you probably have family members. I have neighbors, you probably have neighbors. I have uh, people I've known for a long time, associates that you as well have, who the answer to that question for them is, who cares? Who cares? What does it mean to be the church? Who cares? They don't care at all. For them, that answer has no bearing or impact on their day-to-day lives. It means nothing to them. For many people, it's just this idea of like faith and God and all of that is very disconnected from my life. In fact, perhaps their experience or maybe your experience, why you left um, church or whatever religion you're you're from, or maybe you never associated with it all. This is kind of all new for you. In many ways, it's because you felt like, yeah, it's totally disconnected from my life. In fact, how I would use to describe the church is sort of boring, um, irrelevant, um, and, and even this word, unintelligible, boring, irrelevant, unintelligible, meaning I can't even understand it. it. For some of you, I know you grew up in traditions where literally the entire church service was in another language. So you're like, I don't speak that language. I don't understand it. Or you're like, I know they're speaking English, but I don't know what they're talking about. The songs are hundreds of years old and they use language and words I don't even get. Um, the, the pastor or the priest or the minister or whoever that is at the front of the room doesn't seem to be speaking in a way or about things that have anything to do with my life in a way that I can understand it. All of that kind of spirituality and faith seems to live in another world, not the day-to-day world I live in. And many of us sort of grew up in, in a sense where even like the clothes that people wore in church and not just the ministers or the priests or whatever, but maybe even you, you grew up in a tradition with separate clothes. Everything about that day was separate from everyday life. And perhaps even the church buildings or the religious places, the temple or synagogue or whatever it was, was not a place you felt like you'd want to hang out on a Friday night. It's for another day. It's not connected to my life. And a lot of people that, that feel that way, I think, if we're honest, But there's a deeper and older reason for that that I could suggest to you more than just, oh, like what the the culture of what it was wrapped in or my experience growing up. And it kind of goes back 2,500 years ago to uh, a man, like some of you may know his name or recognize his name. Some of you may not know at all. His name's Plato. I don't mean Plato. That that was Mr. Plato who invented Plato. I'm just kidding. That's not his name. It was dough you played with. That's why they called it. But Plato... (laughs) Plato was a Greek philosopher. He was a student of actually maybe the most uh, famous Greek philosopher, Socrates. And and whether you realize it or not, whether you're a philosophy nerd or not, it doesn't matter. Um, Greek philosophy, even 2,500 years ago, dramatically not only shaped what they call Greco-Roman culture or the Greco-Roman world at the time, but it is still so embedded in much of our culture and our thinking. And, And here's why. Plato had this idea 
um, that the soul and the body were very separate from each other, that there was a disconnection, in a sense, if I could say that, between soul and body. And, and he would say like the soul was actually better or higher or more pure in a sense than the body. This idea that they were actually disconnected. In fact, he has this sort of story famous in one of the chapters of Plato's Republic that he wrote where he's describing this cave. And he uses this cave as an analogy to say, you know, um, there's, there's these people who live in a cave and they, they live in front of a fire, but they're chained in a way that they can't see the fire behind them. All they see is the cave wall. And as people pass behind them in front of the shadows of the fire, they see the shadows on the wall and they think the shadows are their reality until one of them breaks out and actually goes out into the open and rubs his eyes and he sees the real world and realizes, wait, all we've been looking at in that cave is shadows. Those shadows were a mere picture or a shadow of reality. And it's better to live in reality. But here's the twist. Plato actually said and posited this idea. What if the world we see, the flesh and bones, the body, the earth, the trees, everything, those are actually the shadows. And what's real is the soul or the idea or the, the world we can't see behind it. That's actually reality. And so this idea of soul and body being separate is actually something that Plato began to, to put into the, his philosophy. And he felt like, no, what's, what's immaterial, what's unseen, what's of the soul, and even what he might have used this word spiritual, is more real and more true than actual the, the reality that we see around us. And all of what that does to us, even 2,500 years later, whether you've read Plato or not, whether you understand it or not, is increase our sense of separation and distance distance from the things of earth, if we could say it this way, and the things of heaven, or what we'd say the physical world versus the spiritual world. And because of then all of the other ways that the that church or religion or whatever seem to be wrapped in sort of culturally old and irrelevant and disconnected language and, and forms and practices, all of that serves to make us feel like that kind of lives in some other world, just not my everyday life. <laughs> And yet, we as Jesus people and our church, our conviction is that when we, what it means to be a community shaped around Jesus with Jesus at the center is our faith is inextricably linked to our life. Our faith is absolutely about everyday life. This is our conviction as a community. That in other words, your faith has a huge bearing and impact and potential be, and is always inevitably, whether you consider yourself a person of faith or not, and I'm gonna explain why, what I mean by that, that what you believe is interconnected inextricably to your sense of self and how you do your work as a student, as a friend, in your job, as a husband, as a wife, as a parent, as a person, as a human being. It is impossible actually to separate um, phys physicality and spirituality. That our faith is about everyday life. And, and maybe if I can say it this way in a way that would maybe even be more intuitively uh, recognizable to you. We're all under the influence of something. We're all under the influence of something. Um, you don't get to choose whether you are under the influence of something. You just get to choose what it will be. You don't get to choose whether you will be under the influence of something. You just get to choose what that something will be. We are all under the influence of something that is often under the surface, <clears throat> but operating, excuse me, in our everyday life and affecting the way we think and act and interact 
our relationships, our sense of self, everything. We're all under the influence of something. And since we don't get to choose whether that will be, but what that will be, I think it is, it is wise and sane and good for us to say, okay, what is it that I'm under the influence of? And what does it mean for, for the things I want to be to actually begin to affect my everyday life? Now, a couple centuries after Plato lived, there came another man whose teaching and life, and because of his teaching and life and death and resurrection, became far more influential than Plato. And his teachings and his life took over the world. His name was Jesus. And one of the fascinating things that you find when you read the Gospels, the four biographical accounts of Jesus, is that his faith was certainly, what he talked about had everything to do with everyday life. In fact, when you watch Jesus, you'll see that um, he was most often hanging around with everyday people, not very often with religious people. They, they listened to him, but they, they, they were kind of on the periphery. Um, he spent most of his time with everyday people in everyday life. He spent most of his time not in religious places, but in everyday places, in works, at work, workplaces, home, in the streets, markets, fishing boats, the place where everyday life happened. And whenever he talked about God, he talked about everyday life. Jesus was so much about our faith in everyday life. In fact, the religious people um, saw him so much that way, they had problems with him. They said, there's no way you could be close to God because you seem so close to the everyday person. There's no way you could be a really holy, heavenly person because you seem to be so much of the earth. There's no way you could be um, someone who is really pure and separate and disconnected from everyone else like God is. You couldn't be God because you're so immersed in the mess of everyday life. You see, Jesus and the New Testament writers after him had, sorry, Plato, rest in peace, no such false notion that things that were spiritual were somehow separate and disconnected from things that were physical. In fact, the writers of the New Testament, Jesus, when they talk about spirituality, it was a word that actually encompassed everything, mind, body, soul, emotions. Jesus and the writers of the New Testament know nothing of that, if we can call it a false separation or a false dichotomy between the soul and the body, between spiritual things and physical things. The word spiritual, when the Bible talks about it, is actually a way that encompasses all of life. And therefore, our faith is absolutely about everyday life because we are all under the influence of something. We're using a letter uh, written by a Jesus follower, probably around 50 AD to a group of churches in what is now known as modern day Turkey. And this letter has been helping us understand what it means to be the church. And in, as, as Paul gets to the near, near the end of his letter, the apostle Paul as he's writing, he gives a really powerful illustration of what it means that our faith is about everyday life. And so I want you to listen now as that scripture is read for you, and then we're going to walk through it together. You are taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you.
this section of scripture um, at the end of Paul's letter um, gets really practical. And it's interesting because it follows um, the early part of the letter where he has explained to them just what it means that um, God has sent Jesus to us, that Jesus came into the world and um, lived and taught and died and was raised from the dead. What it means for us as a community that God is actually, his plan all along was to bring us together as one people, one community from different ethnic backgrounds and different religious backgrounds and different gender, different social class, but to bring us together as one people. And then after all of that, kind of what we would call very kind of spiritual or theological kind of teaching, he says this, be very careful then how you live. Be very careful how you live. This is absolutely about your everyday life. It actually says to those of us that would want to say, oh, there's a very different, you know, Sunday's a different day than every other day, or the temple's a very different place than every other place, the church or whatever, or spirituality is somewhere out there, up there. It's not practical. It's not real. Saying, no, no, actually, because of who Jesus is and what he said and did, be careful how you live every day. This is also actually something that we, as some of us who have grown up in Christian tradition, some of the Christian tradition has so emphasized that our faith is about what we believe far more importantly than what we do. That somehow faith has to do with some things, some statements that we say yes to in our mind and say, oh, I believe. And we've even used this term. We replace the term follower of Jesus with this term believer. And to see, it doesn't really matter so much what you do, it's about what you believe. And yet Paul says, no, if you believe, then be very careful how you live. This is so much to do with everyday life. And then he gives this very vivid analogy of what he means about this is about everyday life. And he uses the idea of alcohol. And he says, hey, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Now, the word debauchery actually translated, the, the better English translation for this word is just dissipation, which means you come apart, you dissipate, you, you're destroyed. He says, don't be drunk with alcohol. What is, the, what is the point of using that analogy? I don't think this is really about a prohibition. Paul was not a teetotaler. Um, you know, we know actually elsewhere in one of his letters, he says to one of his disciples, hey, I heard you had stomach problems. Take a little bit of wine for your stomach problems. Some of you are like, oh, I have stomach problems too. Well, you can print that verse out and put it on your uh, mirror or something. Anyways, that's not what this is about. He's using drunkenness or when you take alcohol into your body as an analogy and think about it. He says, when you take this into your life, what does it do? When you drink, the more you drink, what happens? The more it starts to affect, and if we can say infect, all of your behaviors, all of your attitudes and thinking. Um, in university, I had uh, several friends who uh, really enjoyed being under the, I don't know if they enjoyed being under the influence of alcohol, but that was just kind of the outcome of every weekend. And we were good friends, so I'd go out with them on the weekend, and after a night of being at the bar or their partying or whatever, I had this one friend, he would always call me the next morning, say, uh, because I was sober, he'd say, VJ, tell me everything. In other words, I don't remember anything I did or said last night. Tell me what I did. And sometimes, unfortunately, what I'd have to tell him, he'd be like, oh, no, I said that. Oh, no, right? It was usually the stuff that you had some messes to clean up. You had to say some, you'd said some things that you got to go unsay or undo, some repairs to make, right? That's what alcohol does. 
You have a little bit, it's not really gonna affect you too much, but you have more and more, it starts to affect, right? It, you are under its influence. It influences your thinking, your acting, your behavior, your conversations, your relationships, and ultimately, and, and you know, joking aside, like any of you that have battled through alcoholism, any of you that have family who have battled through alcoholism, you know when you are under the influence of alcohol, it, it, be, it destroys you. It is not, um, in the end, a benefit to you. It hurts your behavior or thinking. It actually does not just stay. You know, when people have addictions, they try to think, oh, I can just keep this in this one corner of my life. But any of you that have been addicted to anything, you know, you can't. It bleeds into every other part of your life. And even if you think it's only one compartment, it's only over there, everybody else notices. It starts to affect you. And if you've ever had family that are alcoholics or have battled with any kind of addiction, it affects money. It affects thinking. It affects time. It affects jobs. It affects studies. It affects relationships. It affects everything. It destroys you and and the people around you. But let's just think for a moment. Maybe because maybe you say, well, I'm not under the influence of alcohol or substances. I have all that in control. But here's the thing. We're all under the influence of something. Whatever it is that we take into our lives over and over begins to influence our thinking, our acting, our behaviors, our decisions, our relationships. Think about this. If you are under the influence of other people's opinions, the approval of others, it will start to destroy you. If you care too much about what other people think of you, it will affect your decisions. You'll start making decisions to please other people or to avoid criticism. You'll have certain people that you value their opinion more than other people. And so you'll see the world as kind of a social ranking. People you care about whose opinions and likes and follows and discussion and criticism and other people you don't care about because you don't think they're important. It will affect the way you see every relationship. It'll affect the way you spend your time, what you do with your sex life, how you relate to your friends. It'll affect your sense of self, your psychology your sleep, your stress level, anxiety, everything. If you begin to take into your, you drink in the approval of others over and over, it will begin to influence you. Likewise, if you are under the influence of your past, stuff that's happened to you in the past, things that people have said in the past, hurts that you've not been able to let go of, or things that you've never gone to a counselor for, or got healing for, or processed, you know you are under its influence, right? None of us can change the past. We're all products of it, but we don't need to be prisoners of it. But the way we're prisoners of it, if we have not recognized how under the influence of our past we are, that it affects the way we think about ourselves, the way we see other people, the way we see parental figures, the way we relate to our families now, the way we relate to other people, how close we'll let other people in, how we deal with our anger, how we deal with our stress, how we deal with other people who wound us if we haven't forgiven people from our past, right? If you are under the influence of your past, it will destroy you and it will ultimately destroy your relationships. If you're under the influence of social media, if you hours and hours a day and a week are taking in what everybody else is doing, the highlight reels of everyone else's life, you will feel probably pulled in many directions. I should be doing this. I should be doing that. How come I don't have this? How come I don't have that? Oh, I should learn that or I'll get on that or they look better. How did they lose 20 pounds and whatever. It will start to affect and infect the way that you think. It will, you will be under its influence if you continue to take it into the center. You drink it in and, and, and it'll affect everything. Same with money or possessions. I mean, for some of us, money is about security. Like, and, and others, it's about significance. But either way, 
If we, if we are under the influence of money or possessions, we will make decisions. If we are so afraid of not having enough in the future, we'll be stressed all the time. We'll, be, we'll fight with people in our family about money. We'll live with it. We won't be generous because we're too afraid to let it go. We'll be stressed about ever taking a risk at our job because we're afraid to lose it. Or we may be afraid to change a job and we're staying in a place that's toxic because we're too afraid about not having enough money. If security drives us, if we are under the influence of money because of security or significance and what we can buy and how we look and being able to keep up on all the with all the people we see on social media, all of that, if we take it into our lives, it will influence us inevitably. Whether you consider yourself a person of faith or not, whether you say you're a Jesus follower or not, in fact, Paul's talking to Jesus followers here, saying we're all under the influence of whatever we take into our lives over and over and over. And just like alcohol, if we take it into our bodies over and over and over, it begins to intoxicate us. It begins to influence all of our thinking and decisions. So with anything, that we are under the influence of. And so I just want to pause here for a moment and um, give you a chance to reflect, to reflect on this question. What am I under the influence of? And I've listed just a couple things there on the screen for you. We're just going to take three minutes kind of of silence and you ask yourself this question. And, and if you are a Jesus follower, you can ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, what what am I really under the influence? I know I, I say I follow you, but what am I really under the influence of? And, and even if you're not a person of faith, say, yeah, what, what do I seem to be drinking in over and over? Is it the approval of others? Is it my past? Is it money and possessions? Is it social media? Is it substances? For some of us, it might be. Is it what other people are doing? Am I obsessed with what other people are doing? So just take three minutes and we're gonna give you some time to actually reflect on that.
instead of being under the influence of many different things that ultimately are eating away at who we are and who we're meant to be, that are negatively, even bit by bit, affecting our decisions, our interactions, our relationships. Instead, Paul says, be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. That's his point. He's saying, hey, he uses the analogy of drunkenness and said, instead of taking alcohol into your system over and over and in greater quantities, right, which bit by bit starts to affect everything, drink the spirit into your life. It's actually this picture of, and again, he's talking to people who have already said, yes, I'm following Jesus. He said, yeah, but you need to take the spirit, the Holy Spirit into your life more and more in an increasing way. A little bit will only have a little influence. The more you have, the more it will influence all of who you are, your decisions, the way you think. That's what it means. And the spirit is given to us. Often it'll, it says the analogy is that the spirit is referred to analogously as a liquid only because of this thing, just saying to take it into our lives. Well, what does it mean to take the Holy Spirit, to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit? It means to be under the influence of the person of Jesus. It means to have more and more of Jesus in your life such that over time, your actions, your thinking, your interactions, your relationships become to look more and more like the life and interactions and thinking and relationships of Jesus. This is the incredible gift that is offered to us when we become followers of Jesus, is that the spirit is given to us to take in in greater quantities. He says like to take it in and look what he says the results will be when we do that. It will affect our words, like how we interact with other people instead of being bitter and angry and critical and divisive and cynical. We will be encouragers. We will be able to have words that give life to people that strengthen people. But also he says, you'll have a song in your heart he says, you have a song in your heart. What is a song in your heart? You have joy inside you. Even if the world is chaotic, even if the world has not changed, you have changed because you have more of the spirit in you, which results in more joy, a song in your heart. And he says, more gratitude. You will be a more thankful person. These are the results. And he just lists a few. There's so many other things, but this is the results. He says, when a community is marked by, and he's talking again, how people interact with one another. When a community is, mar- is, is filled with people who are filled with the spirit more and more, it affects the way we speak. The, our words can, can help people see God better. They can encourage one another. We can pray for healing over each other. Like that's about everyday life. Um, and, and, and we have joy in our hearts and and a sense of gratitude that marks our lives to God and to other people. Those are just a few of the results. And if I can just press the substance analogy a little further, we need a stronger drink. We need something stronger than alcohol in our system. We need something stronger and more beautiful than the approval of other people in our system. We need something stronger in our bodies than an obsession with security or or the significance that money brings. We need something stronger than social media to be pouring into our minds and our eyes and our hearts. We need something stronger than our past to affect our decisions. We are given the Holy Spirit. And the more we take him in, Paul says, the more it changes our lives. And this is why at our church, You know, we use everyday language to explain the things of God to ourselves and to each other. 
We are very practical with what it means to be Jesus people. We do seminars on marriage and parenting. We preach um, sermons about sexuality, about money, about your workplace, about your, inter, uh, your interpersonal relationships, because this is so much about everyday life. It's why when we pray for people, we don't just pray for spiritual, quote, experiences for them that have nothing to do with life. Well, we pray for healing in their bodies. We pray for wisdom for decisions they need to make. We pray for each other to have um, healing in our marriages or in our parent-child relationships or with coworkers or with friends. When we teach our youth, we talk to them about practical everyday things like anxiety or their dating relationships or what it means for them to have an identity that's grounded in who God has made them to be. All of this affects everyday life. It's also why we pray for each other to be filled with the Spirit. Now, I'll be honest with you, like, um, I grew up in the church. I became a follower of Jesus at a pretty young age. But I had never in my life actually, uh, and I know that I was given the Holy Spirit when I, when I became a follower of Jesus. We all are. But I never knew that it, you, could, you could ask for more of the Holy Spirit to be filled over and over. In fact, that's the language that Paul uses is this ongoing thing, just like you keep taking in, right? The alcohol analogy is helpful. You just have a little sip, more and more and more. And the more you have, the more you start to change, the more it influences your behaviors and your thoughts and your decisions and your relationships. And so several years ago, a friend of mine prayed for me that I would receive the Holy Spirit more. And that, that it, I had actually a physical experience of that where I could feel that happening. And it was also a turning point in my life. And it's something now that I'm growing and realizing I need this on an ongoing basis. And I've had the blessing and privilege of praying that for my people. And so I want to do that for you now. For some of you, you may never have asked before Jesus to actually come into your life. You didn't know that this was something that could actually live inside you, that you could take into your life. You didn't know it was something that was just, wasn't something distant and removed only for certain people in certain religious places and certain spiritual things. You didn't realize this was something that could come into your life and change your everyday life. And so I want to pray for you for that. And then there are others of you who say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, but you know what? If I'm honest, I'm too much under the influence of the approval of other people. I'm too much influenced by money or possessions. I'm too influenced by my past. I need healing and, and change and freedom and forgiveness. I'm too influenced by social media. I'm too influenced by the behavior of other people. And you realize you need freedom from that. And so if any of that landed with you while you were reflecting, I want you to, I'm just going to pray for you. And if this doesn't weird you out, you could just receive this like this, whether you're watching online or you're in person or whatever, just open your hands. And I want to pray that you would experience the filling of the Holy Spirit. Spirit, we know we need you. We know we can't have too much of you right? So many other good things in life, if we have too much of it, it ruins us. But you are the one thing that we can never get enough of. That the more we have, the more we need, the more we want, the more we change, the more we become the people we are meant to be. So Holy Spirit, fill us now. Fill each person listening. Fill each person who's saying, yes, I want Jesus in my life through the Holy Spirit. I want more and more of Christ in my life. I want my life progressively to be changed. I want the Holy Spirit to be filled in me to drive out the lesser things that I'm too influenced by. So fill us, Holy Spirit. Fill each person. Let the lesser things, which aren't bad, but they're, they're just too much of them is no good for us. Let it be driven away. Instead, be filled up that we would be filled in a new way by the person, the presence, the power of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. 
And I pray for those that are receiving that you would give us tangible signs that you are answering this prayer. In your name, Jesus, amen. Before we just finish up our teaching time together, we're going to kind of just sit in this moment a little bit longer with a song that talks about taking Jesus in and letting him begin to take over. Uh, our lives with his love and his presence and his ways. And so if you're someone who's been, who was receiving that today, just allow that to continue to just sit in this experience a little bit longer as we sing together.
If this has sparked something in you today, if God has opened your heart to more of the Holy Spirit in your life, and I hope that that's true for all of us, I know even writing this message, it has been for me. There's a couple things for you to consider. One is uh, to just be a part of the series we're doing over the next two months. We're starting a series next week called How Do I Grow? And a couple of those weeks, we're actually going to be looking more practically, what does that mean for the Holy Spirit to be in our lives and begin to affect the way we interact, uh, affect the way we interact with each other? And so this is all about, yeah, how do I have more of Jesus in my life this next two months? But also, uh, if you're new to faith or you're exploring faith or you have people in your life who you know are kind of trying to figure out what is this about, the Alpha Course is a perfect place for you to actually experience what would a life look like, what would my life look like if it was under more of the influence of Jesus? And so the Alpha Course is a great place for you to come and ask those questions and find out more about who Jesus is and what would it mean to see your life um, change. And so it's online um, starting on Thursday, October 7th, and you'll, you'll, you can log in from wherever you are or work or school or home or whatever in, in the evening, 
and uh, you get to kind of do this journey with a group of people who are kind of all on the same journey with you. I want you to think for a moment about um, the place where you work. I want you to, you know, the, the place where you're going to tomorrow. It may be school, like a classroom where you're a student or you're teaching. It may be a store where you work, maybe a warehouse, maybe a shop floor, maybe outdoors, maybe an office, maybe a home office, maybe someplace in your home. And I want you to imagine that instead of going into that place, feeling tired, feeling a bit irritable, feeling cynical, feeling a bit bitter, feeling annoyed at the people around you, feeling pushed about by everything that's happening. Imagine you walk into that place and the words you have to speak are a blessing to everyone who hears you. You have words of encouragement on your tongue for the people around you. You have words of hope for the people around you. You have words of kindness for the people around you. And imagine more than your words in your heart There's a song, there's something about it, a little spring in your step. Nothing's changed in the world, but you are not the same person. There is joy inside you. And you are so grateful for things you weren't even aware were a blessing. You're grateful to God. You're grateful to people around you. You notice every little gift. (laughs) If that happened, I think... The people around you might say to you, hey, I don't know what you're drinking, (laughs) but you should have another round. (laughs) And maybe you'll have something to give them 